I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables and expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing right now in your garden. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the horticultural advisors from the team here at Wisley. Coming up on this edition, we celebrate summer both here at Wisley and in your garden as we hear our experts' advice on what you should be doing now. We've got grow-your-own tips from our vegetable garden, including some fantastic recipes for courgettes. We'll learn how to ensure you get the best crop from apple trees and we'll be giving your houseplants their very own summer holiday, making sure you protect them from slugs. Also, Wisley garden manager Matthew Pottage picks his summer highlights from the garden here and our RHS horticultural advisors are on hand to tackle your latest gardening queries. As always, we'll have the latest news on RHS events across our four gardens with some special treats for dads this Father's Day. But we begin in the vegetable garden here at Wisley with Mario Depache. My name is Mario De Pace and I am the gardener that looks after the vegetable garden here at RHS Wisley. We are at the beginning of June and all the tender crops are ready to be planted out. And that includes uh, courgette, pumpkins, squashes, butternut squashes, cucumbers, uh, tomatoes aubergines, peppers, chilies. With courgettes, you start them about four or five weeks before they, they are meant to be planted out. And you plant them out when they reach two true leaves stage. Any bigger than that, and they are difficult to handle. Any smaller than that, and they are still uh, quite susceptible to any fluctuation in temperature. If, you, if you've been growing them on your windowsill, uh, when they reach the required stage, two-leaf stage, put them outside like in the patio or in a warm area against the wall, a south-facing wall, and just cover them with a bit of fleece. Courgettes, pumpkins, they require a lot of space, especially the trailing varieties. The minimum is one square meter per plant some pumpkins varieties especially 
require two or three square meters per plant. The ground needs to be prepared uh, well in advance by incorporating a lot of organic matter to help moisture retention and also obviously to uh, enrich the soil because courgettes uh, require a lot of food. A very, uh, it's a very hungry crop. Once they are planted in the ground, they need watering and they need a good drink because you don't want to water them for another five days at least after the, they are in the ground in order to allow the roots to look for their own water. Don't water them every day because the roots don't grow. They find what they need there, so do you weaken the plants, basically. And the other important thing is always water the base of the plant. Because if you water the leaves, it's very likely that mildew will, will attack the plant. There are many, many ways to prepare courgettes, and I tend to use them in typical Italian preparation like caponata uh, or I do marinated courgettes and the best one to do marinated courgettes is the Romanesco one so you just slice them fry them until they are golden and then dress them with vinegar, olive oil garlic, parsley chili and that's it and uh, it's as simple as that but it's the most gorgeous dish that you can have uh, with your antipasto, basically. I'm Bernard Boardman. I help to look after the orchard at Wisley. June, time of year when everybody starts to panic because that lovely crop of apples that they've been looking at suddenly starts to fall to the floor. Don't worry about it. It's nature's way of thinning the fruit crop out and in fact even though it sounds harsh we still need to go and thin our fruit out two reasons you get bigger nicer fruit and often it's healthier it it ripens better it allows more light into the plant so you get a better ripening of the fruit much more even coloring and the other problem is that In years when there's a very heavy crop, the sheer weight of fruit on the branch will break even the heaviest looking limb. So go and thin. If you're thinning, eating apples, allow just a couple of apples per cluster of fruit. Cooking apples need to be a bit thinner, perhaps a hand span apart. It seems awfully hard to do it, but it's worth it in the long run and actually the small apples if they're about the size of a golf ball they're still quite usable even at this stage you have to add a bit more sugar or honey to them to sweeten them but they'll still cook so don't think you're throwing everything away My name is Peter Jones. I'm team leader of the glass houses here at Wisley. For those of you that have Cymbidium orchids, uh, it's known as the king of orchids. It's a nice, large, free-flowering orchid. Tends to like quite a cooler environment of a living room, not quite as warm as, say, a Phalaenopsis, the the moth orchid. They will enjoy being put out for the summer, so during the months of June and then on till about 
August, early September time, you could put them in a nice sheltered, shady spot in your garden where they're protected from direct sunlight and they'll rather enjoy that. You might have risk of slug or snail damage, so I would protect them from that. And obviously when you bring them back in, make sure there's no little slugs or snails hiding in there because you don't want those in your house when you've brought them in. Thanks to Peter, Bernard and Mario here at the RHS Garden Wisley. You can find more tips and advice on growing your own fruit and vegetables on the Grow Your Own pages of the RHS website, rhs.org.uk forward slash grow your own. Here you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden. I'm Jenny Bowden and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now summer has finally arrived, there's a plethora of treats for all the senses here at RHS Garden Wisley. So we caught up with garden manager Matthew Pottage to hear some of his personal highlights and suggestions for what to look out for if you fancy a trip to Wisley. So here we are at RHS Wisley. We're in June, one of the nicest months for gardening. The garden's completely woken up now. Plants are getting going. Everything's looking really fresh and quite vibrant. And, wow, there's so much to choose from. There's so much to see here at this time of year. Uh, I'm going to pick up one of my favourites first, which are the Cornus Cusa trees. They're known as the flowering dogwoods. We've got a wonderful collection of them in the rose garden here. There's a selection of them around us that have low-growing forms, slightly narrower forms. But the great thing about these trees are they're slow-growing, they stay quite small, they've got really long-lived white flowers, which then start to age to like a pinky red colour. And then following that, they've got a red fruit, like a strawberry. And if you think it can't get any better, we've got autumn colour after that. They're such an all-round tree. But now is the time to see them. They've got a long flowering period, but come to them now. They've got these lovely, fresh, creamy white flowers on them. And also around us in the garden, we're just starting to see the roses budding up in the rose garden throughout the end of June into July and August. This is an absolute whirl of scent in here. And the way the roses are laid out, they're either side the paths, either side the grass rides. And even if roses aren't your cup of tea, you cannot fail to be impressed uh, by this. Just come along and just, just smell the air in the summertime here. It's fantastic. But also moving down towards the glass houses this time of year, not only the glasshouse is beautiful, but the landscape around it comes alive in June time and around us now. And you'll see lots of salvias, deepers and geraniums. And these are all early flowering summer perennials, which we see typically around us doing their thing. And what is lovely about this landscape in June is the sheer quantity of these plants. They're in huge drifts. We're talking big numbers here. So it's very impressive en masse, if you like. Now I can't walk past these magnolias and not stop and mention these. Everyone thinks magnolias, springtime, spring flowers. These are evergreen magnolias, it's magnolia grandiflora, and these are summer flowering magnolias. And these are starting to flower now, and these will flower through to the end of summer. And rather than having a big flush of once, all in one go, we have kind of sporadic flowers born throughout the summer, individually on different branches. But what is amazing about these is the scent of them. They're like enormous bowls almost. We've got these huge fleshy petals. They open, they last two to three days. But the great thing about them is put your head in them, put your face in them and smell. Just inhale. They're enormous, first of all. So if you've got a small head, you'll lose your head. But the scent is like, I think it's like a lemon meringue pie. It's a really vanilla-y, fresh, really fresh fragrance. 
and just coupled with these big waxy over the top looking flowers it's it's like nothing else they're one of my favorite magnolias as impressive as the spring ones are magnolia grandiflora is wonderful and and take a look at the leaves big glossy shiny leaves they've got these lovely velvety undersides we're looking at here and it's another one to turn ahead in the summer garden uh, truly fantastic come and see them Our thanks to Matthew Pottage. Now, if Matthew has inspired you to make a trip here to RHS Garden Wisley, or indeed one of our other gardens at Rosemore, Hyde Hall or Harlow Carr, here's some ideas of activities to enjoy in the coming weeks. At Wisley, Father's Day weekend, stone carving from 10am till 4pm on June 15th and 16th. Bring Dad along for a unique experience with Southern Stone, Demonstrations and have-a-go sessions are free with normal garden entry, but you can also pre-book a day workshop to make a Tudor rose from 10am to 4pm for £95 plus garden entry. To book, simply phone 0845 612 1253. There are six places available each day, but you do need to be over 16 years of age. At Harlow Car, fruit for everyone. Think you don't have space to grow fruit? Our Fruit for Small Spaces event on 15th of June will give you the tips you need to grow your own. At Rosemore, coming up roses. Our Rose Weekend on the 22nd and 23rd of June is packed with specialist rose advice, guided walks, rose sales and a craft market. And at all of our gardens, that's Wisley, Hyde Hall and Harlow Carr, we have a garden party Come and join us on the 29th and 30th of June. We're hosting a weekend of fun and festivities, including swing dancing, vintage makeovers, afternoon teas and more. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk. If you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening Podcast, you'll already know that once a month my colleagues from the advisory team here at RHS Garden Wisley are on hand to answer your gardening questions. The RHS advisory service is free for all RHS members and if you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast you can email them to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. So let's see what questions you've been asking this month. I'm Tony Dickerson. I'm a horticultural advisor here with the RHS at Wisley. I'm Lee Hunt. I'm also a horticultural advisor here at Wisley and specialise in urban gardening. Well, first today we we have an inquiry from Luke Hansworth, uh, who lives in Scarborough. How can I control the bindweed which takes over my garden every year? I hate it. If possible, I'd like an organic solution. Right, bindweed. It's always one of the most difficult weeds to control, unfortunately, isn't it? And it... The problem is those roots. The roots at the bottom, they form the spaghetti in the ground. And when you try and dig them out, they break readily. And then every little bit has the possibility to regrow and make a new plant. So digging is quite a complicated activity. You've got to be very thorough. And it's much easier on a sandy soil than a clay soil. Uh, If you do want to try and control it, then actually if you can leave the ground fallow and cover it over with black plastic, weight it down, that's a good way of, if you can leave it at least probably a year or even 18 months, 
will smother it out and prevent it getting up. But there's probably some other alternatives as well. One of the problems is when your uh, when your bindweed is coming from the next door neighbour's garden. So no matter how much you control it in your garden and dig and um, sieve the soil, if the problem is coming from next door, then um, you're on a losing battle. Um, but there, there is a possibility of using a root barrier, uh, which is a type of fabric that has been developed specially um, for, for the soil so that it doesn't break down and can help prevent roots coming in from next door. But you would need to set it quite deeply um, beyond the um, reach of the roots, which may be a couple of feet, I have to say. So uh, an organic solution, but uh, quite a heavy on the work side of it. <laughs> I think one of the things here is, especially in areas of shrubs and so on, there's really no alternative other than actually getting in there and removing it by hand. Um, In other areas of the garden, if possible, if it's a real problem, lift the plants you want, wash their roots to ensure there's no bits of rhizome on them. And then that area that you've cleared of your valuable plants, let the bindweed grow away. Ideally, train it up uh, bamboo canes. And uh, for many, uh, it will be a case of resorting to a chemical solution. And there are certainly weed killers, systemic weed killers, which will actually uh, knock it back severely. But if you actually cultivate it, allow it to grow up those bamboo canes, you've got plenty to spray and the uptake of the chemical will be far more effective. Right. Well, I've got a question from Dawn Fleming from Birmingham. And she says, I love the smell and colour of sweet peas. How much space do I actually need to grow them in the containers on my balcony? And how do I do it? What varieties should I choose to get the best colour and the scents because she wants to put them in vases in her home? Jenny, what would you choose? What sort of varieties would you like? Well, for a sunny spot, um, for a sunny spot, you want ones that might be slightly in a pastel shade range because if you have very very strong colors then they can bleach out in the sun um so so that's a thought but basically any any of the sweet peas any of they're called lathyris odoratus is the name that you'd be looking for but they're generally just sold as sweet peas any of them are going to be beautifully scented um very highly scented are the old-fashioned ones there's one called matacana and there's one called cupani um the only downside to them is they often have quite short short branches on them to actually put in a in a bigger vase but they make quite sweet little um, little arrangements in in um, not as little as an egg cup but uh, in a, in a smaller container very very sweetly scented but otherwise there's the more highly bred ones uh, with much longer stems and many more flowers on a stem as well. So you can go for bicolours, that's two colours on each flower. You can have ruffles, you can have speckles. It's endless. I suppose one of the great things is here at Wisley we trial them each year. So the AGM varieties are Award of Garden Merit. They're available in our plant finder so you can see what is listed. And if you want to come down to Wisley as well during the summer months, you will actually be able to go along the trials field and choose the ones that look really good. So that's another way of doing it. I like the idea, though, with the Cupani and Machicana because they're not quite as vigorous, so they're ideal for a container on a balcony. So that works well. I'm, I'm wondering, Tony, do you think they need some special cultivation to get them growing really well in a container? Well, they certainly want a very good compost. I'd be tempted 
to if I used a multi-purpose to perhaps uh, add 50% John in it, a, a loam, a soil-based compost, which will give them a lot of uh, fertility, a lot of nutrient, easier to keep them well watered. They hate drying out. Very important to feed the plants at least every fortnight, if not each week. Being climbing plants, uh, you can put in supports six or eight feet high and they will climb to the top. Uh, a more manageable option is shorter canes perhaps four feet but when you plant up the the young plants spiral them around the support rather than allowing them to grow straight up Uh, the other option there are now patio uh, varieties which have been bred so they're much more compact it will actually say that on the uh, uh, seed packet and um, next year you might look out in the garden centers a bit earlier in the spring for pots of these seedlings but they're much more compact they're designed literally for growing in containers and give just as good a result there's even one that grows in hanging baskets indeed i'm just wondering lee something else people may come across on the seed packets they may find reference to spencer type sweet peas or grandiflora types yes they very likely will find this the spencer type the key thing with that is they are going to be those bigger frillier petals so if you want flower power and real as she's mentioned that she'd like to grow them in a vase probably the spencer types are going to be the key ones to go for there is now this move though back to as jenny was mentioning these older fashion varieties and the difference is they tend to smell strongest so you do have that slight dichotomy where the older ones tend to smell better but the bigger ones are more showy so you might have to make a bit of a choice between those two right we now have uh, an inquiry that's come in via email from uh, barry Hare, and uh, it's a question about how do you grow potatoes in bags and what is earthing up does it matter is it just an old-fashioned habit that gardeners have got into well, Jenny. that is such a good question that is such a good question because I think there's a feeling that when you grow potatoes in bags, you are going to have a bag full of potatoes all the way to the top, from the top to the bottom. But that's just really not the case. Um, to be honest, one potato per bag is is going to be enough um, because they do take up an enormous amount of space. And you you plant it two thirds of the way down and you, you earth up. But the reason for earthing up is not to get lots and lots of potatoes, unfortunately. It's just there to stop the potatoes going green. Uh, that's that's a, a commonly held myth that you're just going to get a whole bag full of potatoes, more than you might get in the soil. Uh, and when we say earthing up in, in a bag, what, what we're talking about is just adding a bit more compost over the shoots as they start to grow. That's right. So you should have about uh, seven or eight inches of foliage showing at the top um, each time you add the compost so throughout the growing season you might need to do that uh, two or three times until till you've reached the top of your your bag and in, in the garden in the vegetable plot we'd have our row of potatoes and when we speak about earthing up there we're, we're using a hoe to draw up soil either side of the row again just to protect those tubers stop the light getting to them the great thing, of course, about a bag, though, is if you haven't got a space or you haven't got an allotment where you can grow, then it does give you that opportunity. And I suppose that if you're gardening with children, there's a great return on putting a potato in because unlike those fiddly little things that you might get from the veg patch, 
when you break open that bag and have a look at the potatoes do tumble out so there is a real payoff and a reward for particularly i think for children where they can really see what how one has become many and i suppose another thing we we think about obviously early potatoes hopefully in early summer but of course gardeners can now get prepared potatoes that they can plant in early autumn uh, for harvesting at christmas so sort of new potatoes in the middle of winter uh, may not be everyone's choice they may just want their their roasted potatoes but certainly that is another option yeah if you've uh, got a greenhouse it's great isn't it And if you found some um, potatoes lying around in the uh, vegetable drawer at home that you bought from the supermarket, would you recommend planting those in the garden? Well, I I think if we're talking about uh, seed potatoes, uh, seed potatoes are sold by uh, garden centres and they've been specially grown, often in Scotland, mainly to ensure that they're free of virus and disease, which is usually spread by aphid. So it may seem like a, a cheap option just to recycle some of your supermarket potatoes, but, but really it pays to buy proper seed potatoes. And again, going back to the ones for autumn planting, they will also be specially prepared to encourage them to shoot at a time of year when they may not necessarily do so. Thanks to Lee and Tony. Remember that RHS members can contact the advice team by phone, email or letter with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Well, we're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with a special focus on gardening suggestions for the whole family. Until then... Remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden, and the team here at RHS Garden Wisley, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, 
and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.